Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by the managing editor of BP Boston, Brett Cowett. Brett, what's going on, man? Uh, not much. It's a nice and sunny day up in Washington, which I really should appreciate since there's not a lot of them left. So it's probably going to rain in the next hour. I don't know. It's that kind of weather. I've heard that the uh, the tickets to get up to Washington State during the summertime are like triple the price as they are at any other point. Is that true? It, yeah, it might be. It's really, really when it like when it gets clear, it's really, really pretty up here. You can see rain from like 60 miles out. But when it like gets miserable, it's really bad. Yeah, that's I could do without the rain. It's been really rainy here where I am too for like the better part of the last it, it feels like three weeks. Um, I'm just south of the Boston area right now, um, and today is another gloomy day. It's kind of weird. And, you know, we had that quick stretch where it was 80 and 90 degrees, and then it was back down to being cold and rainy. So the the weather's been kind of bizarre. Um, which sort of fits with the Red Sox, who have been kind of bizarre in their own right. Um, and today we are back with you after taking a short week hiatus um, to you know kind of see where the team is at at this point. Um, two things that are happening that may be positives to the team, and you know we should probably be more solid in this, but unfortunately uh, there's no way to be. But Pablo Sandoval and David Price are both. Uh, on rehab assignments. Um, David Price, as you know, um, unless you're living under a rock, uh, has pitched poorly in both of his rehab assignments uh, lately. 
Um, the one in Pawtucket, he threw 90 pitches, went 3.2 innings pitched, gave up seven hits, three earned runs, one walk, and four strikeouts. Um, nothing exciting there. Pablo Sandoval is also rehabbing at Triple A. Um, he went two for four with two doubles and a rare walk. So, uh, are you excited about either of those guys coming back? And kind of, what's your confidence level on how much they can contribute when they do? With Pablo, he was kind of on the—he was kind of getting the short end of the stick with the luck there. Small sample size, 67 uh, plate appearances. But going by uh, Fangraphs, going by Fangraphs soft, medium, and hard hit percentage, he was hitting 43% of the balls in the hard hit percentage, like really damn hard. So that's probably going to bounce back. I'm excited to see him back. <clears throat> and with and with uh, David Price, the starts kind of scare me, but there was also a emphasis that he noted that <clears throat> they were working on his fastball and cutter, just all of his harder pitches instead of more of the off speed. And I think once he gets back up to the majors, he'll start using his full repertoire like he should. So I, I wanted to see. I guess they wanted to see if his elbow was going to hold up under the added stress of throwing something 95 miles an hour instead of a bendy pitch. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that Price is coming back to start Memorial Day. It's about time. I mean, I think he's just gonna, he's just gonna be better on the fact that he's not Hector Velasquez or anybody in the AAA system. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at the very least, he, at the very least, just by law of averages, he's going to be better than them. Yeah. Even if, even if he like flails, even if he flails about like he did kind of last year. So it's that I'm excited about just to get, just to have the improvement. Just the, it's just it's even a quality of life improvement. So you don't have to watch a game and you're like, oh great, it's Kyle Kendrick. I can't wait to lose by the third inning. So that I'm excited for. I'm excited to see some type of consistency at third base since everybody has apparently died. Um, that I'm I'm excited for both of them to come back. They're not like two guys you just by looking at them and their stats you would get immediately excited for, but the benefit of having them over what they're get, over what the Red Sox are using now is something you should really be happy for. Yeah, even if um Price comes back and he is um not him his normal self, um I think that the, the stats that have been getting passed around recently are that. Everybody aside from the Red Sox top three starters has like a combined seven and a half ERA. Um, so even if he's like John Lackey in the uh, pre-Tommy John season for the Red Sox bad, he's still not going to be a seven and a half ERA guy. Um, and it'll be David Price. So he at least has some more talent than them. And listening to Jerry Remy on the broadcast, it was kind of funny. His assessment of uh, Hector Velasquez is, I'm not sure that there's a major league pitcher in there because <laughs> <laughs> the stuff is just so unimpressive. But, yeah, it'll be good to have him back. And there's obviously a, a bigger ceiling with those guys too. Um, I'm not super looking forward to seeing Pablo Sandoval uh, butcher um, third base defense. But, you know – I was more encouraged than some people, even with all the errors that he made before he left, too, because I thought that most of the errors that he made were throwing errors and not necessarily, you know, they couldn't get to balls. So um, maybe that will improve, too. But um, bottom line here is that we're 45 games into the season right now for the Red Sox, which is, you know, it's a good chunk. It's uh, it's a little bit more than a quarter of the season now, um, and it's time to kind of take stock of where the Red Sox are. Um, currently, they are 24 and 21. 
Um, they sit one game out of uh, second place behind Baltimore and three and a half behind New York. Um, they're currently fifth in the American League in runs scored um, and sixth in runs against, and they have the fourth best run differential at plus 18. Um, so reading all of those things to you, um, it seems like we should be feeling more excited about this team than we are, but I think we're just kind of crushed under the collective weight of the expectations that this team had uh, heading into the season and the fact that they just really haven't lived up to that or played any sort of dominating baseball. I think we have to be encouraged, though, by the last three games and what we've seen here, though, right? Yeah, we do. Uh, they've actually looked like they've started hitting better, and it really goes to show how much they really need guys like Betts and Benintendi to be on the... It's a good thing they're relying on them because they're great hitters and great players, but it really shows how much they really need to rely on them to be consistent, to have a good offense going, because so many guys aren't hitting the way they are. Like, Dustin Pedroia has an ISO under 100, which is terrifying. So it's... They, they look great, and they have a better run differential than the Baltimore Orioles, which says a lot, and which should say a lot in the coming games. So... It's nice to see that they should be doing better, maybe even by a little bit. But at the same time, you're kind of wondering, like, why haven't they won more games if they've been doing this so much? And it goes back to what we talked about, the pitching, where you had the ERA over seven for everybody who was in the top three. So it's just – it's almost frustratingly underwhelming. It's not like, oh, man, they've had some ba- – oh, man, they've had some bad strokes luck. It's just been underwhelming. And, like, you're – it's nice to see them that they can do better. It's nice to see that there's still a margin to get to their ceiling, at least from now. But at the same time, you can see the pitfalls pretty easily and what they've had to rely on and how paper thin some of their depth is. So I don't know it's, it's heartening to see that they're better than what we all feel like they are. And the expectations have always been what have been, what have killed any Boston team essentially like 2011 wasn't 2011's downfall in September wasn't as wouldn't been as bad even though it was already pretty horrible but it wouldn't have been as bad if we hadn't called if someone hadn't called the team the best red sox team ever in march so (laughs) who did a thing like that uh, oh i don't know (laughs) but it's the expectations especially for the boston teams have always been sky high if there's an inkling of good things going on and tw- the end of 2015, you kind of had some high hopes for 2016, and 2016 just completely blew us out of the water with how good they were in the second half. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, we're going to have high expectations now, and people forget how kind of whatever the Red Sox were in the first half of that season, even like even when uh, tra- Travis Shaw was hitting like 400 with a billion homers. So it's there's a lot that really needs to be reconciled when we expect something out of a Boston Red Sox team. And we tend to really, when we hear anything good about them, we tend to really push away the bad, like how mediocre they were in the first half of last season. They were only six games over 500 at the All-Star break, from what I remember. So it's, the expectation should have been, yeah, we should compete for division title and we are the heavy favorites. But right now, they're kind of looking up to the New York Yankees, who are hot and heavy plus 56 run differential. So it's good to see that they're doing better than we all thought. They might not be exceeding expectations, but they still have a long hill to climb. 
Yeah, you're certainly right. I mean, I, I think that, that Yankees team might have a little bit more staying power than we thought, especially with uh, Severino and Pineda pitching well. But I think they have a number of their own holes there as well. So it's not like it's it's completely insurmountable. They're not a juggernaut in front of the Red Sox, which is a good thing. So if the Red Sox do play better and the Yankees do regress to the mean a little bit, um, they should be able to make up some of that ground. But what I want to do now is I want to start up – uh, a game called Do Your Job. It is a game that I have created to honor the most successful team uh, in the Boston area, the New England Patriots, and Patriots have that great slogan, Do Your Job. Um, so what I want to do is kind of go through um, you know, the, all of the different roster spots that are on the uh, Red Sox active 25-man roster and just kind of see, is this guy doing his job? You know, Is this player performing up to expectations um, or not? And uh, we'll get your take on it, and I'll see if I disagree with you on anybody. But um, this will give us a kind of a, a good snapshot of how everybody is performing. Because with 45 games under their belt, uh, really not all that much of a small sample size anymore. And some judgments can be made right here. Um, so where I want to start, our first guy on the block, we're just going to start right at uh, first base. And then we'll, we'll take a hard left and go from there. Uh, Mitch Moreland so far. Uh, here are his numbers on the season. Uh, Mitch Moreland is currently uh, batting 266. Uh, he has a 361 on base percentage, 462 slugging. Uh, unfortunately, he has not been a good fielder this year. Uh, that was part of the bargain with him. Uh, baseball Prospectus has him as negative 2.4. Uh, fielding runs above average, so he hasn't been very good defensively. Uh, what he has been doing really, really well this year, though, is hitting a crap ton of doubles. Um, he has 16 doubles on the season. Uh, his previous high is 27, so it looks like he's certainly going to eclipse that mark. Uh, do you feel so far that Mitch Moreland has done his job? I do, and the value from him hitting has completely balanced out the value he's lost from fielding. And the fielding should get better as it goes on, even though... Eight, when you're when you get up around 30, fielding starts to fall off a little bit, even for a Gold Glove defensive third, uh, first baseman. But I think he has done his job. He's got the second highest ISO on the team behind Mookie Betts. He's hit a ton of doubles. He's got, basically he's hitting like Hanley Ramirez should be hitting essentially. So I think he's done his job and added the not last place fielding ranks of Hanley from last year. So yeah, I, I would say yes. Yeah, I think I would agree for the most part. And the fact that this like poor guy hasn't really gotten any time off at all. He, you know, this is a player that we thought would sort of platoon a little bit, or at least get a whole lot more time off than he has so far. Uh, and he's been offensively really strong. I do worry a little bit about the defense though, because when I'm looking at his baseball prospectus page, I'm seeing that. You know, he obviously had the gold glove season last year where it was 3.8 uh, for fielding runs above average. But the previous two seasons to that, he was actually negative with 2015 being a, a pretty big negative, negative uh, 7.9 there. Uh, and then the two previous years to that, he was a better defender. So he's been kind of on and off with the defense. I'm, I'm wondering if that is something that you think – is a possibility for him not to come back. I mean, he's almost 32 years old at this point. Yeah, there's a possibility. Uh, there's There always is a feeling because sometimes it can just be torn out from under you. And th But there's always 
when it comes to fielding stats, there's always the variability with those. We're ta we are talking about a small sample size, even though we are 45 teams in. But there's also we've also got to understand that there's a lot of volatility in a sample size, even in sample size relative to other fielders, even this small, because it's because with first baseman, it's basically if you don't make every dig, it can be a ding against you. Uh, if you do a throw can be bad, but if you can't dig it out, it can be a ding against you. So it's it's very volatile in that sense. And for first base defense, you really need a huge sample size, like two plus seasons to really get a good grasp. And I I would honestly at this point, I'm going to give him the benefit of a doubt and hope he'll, hope that it bounces back since he's been a good defensive first baseman for most of his career. So, but there is definitely a chance that it doesn't come back, and he's just kind of a mid-league first baseman in general. But even with him being kind of a meh at for defense, that's still going to be better than what Hanley Maris did at first base last year, which we all kind of overrated because, oh my god, it can't be worse than anything else that he did in left field. But it's still going to be better because I think Hanley Ramirez was last in first baseman fielding runs uh, yes. last year. Yes, he so, was god-awful. <laughs> so I think just by being better than that – just even if he's marginally better than that, it's still an improvement. And if he hits like he has been, then I don't think there's a problem. Yeah, and let's not like confuse it. It's not like the the Red Sox signed this guy to come in and be Miguel Cabrera. Like he's he was he was was signed to be a low cost option to provide some offense and sure up the defense. And he has at least done one half of that equation. And I agree with you, he may not bounce back 100% defensively, but I think he'll be pretty much a neutral fielder at worst uh, for the remainder of the year. So I think we can both firmly put him in the camp of having had done his job. Yep. Um, let's move to the left with Dustin Pedroia. This, this is where it gets a little bit more tricky. Um, Pedroia has a really good slash line on the year so far, or a decent slash line, I should say. Um, Pedroia is batting 292, 354 OBP, um, just a 402 slugging percentage though. Um, on the season, he only has the two home runs, uh, which is a little bit troublesome. Uh, and then he has eight doubles to go along with it. So we haven't got a lot of power, uh, from Pedroia, um, but he is still batting well. The one thing that is kind of, uh, a negative with Pedroia right now is the fact that, uh, Pedroia has been grading out as a really bad base runner so far this year. He never takes the extra base, um, and he is losing a little bit of value uh, due to war because of that. So I want to I get your, your opinion on him. Has he done his job so far? In terms of defense, yes, and he still has his really great batting eye. He has more walks and strikeouts on the season so far. It's just we're waiting for the power to show up, and I don't know if he has another hand issue, which you can add to the long list of hand issues he's had. You could basically unfurl that scroll, but I think he has, honestly, because his defense, I feel like the more we watch him play defense, the more I'm convinced he's going to play defense like that forever, like he's never going to slow down, and the hitting, I'm hoping the power will come around. He's... It's just you always worry about it. You always worry he's, the power's not going to be there. And he doesn't really hit that many fly balls to, like, elicit a bunch of homers. But the problem is with his fly balls, he's hitting a bunch of them. In, in, there are a bunch of infield fly balls or easy outs. So if that changes, then it's going. you're going to see a huge boon in his power. But so far he has done his job. I will, I'm very solid in saying that. 
I'm going to disagree with you here. Um, I feel like Dustin Pedroia's job here is to provide um, plus defense, and I don't necessarily feel like he has been doing that so far this year. Uh, and I think that he needs to be a more important part of the offense um, than he has been so far. And I get the whole preservation thing with Dustin Pedroia having – you know, had the injury history that he has, and maybe he doesn't want to be more aggressive on the base paths to pres- preserve himself a little bit more. But um, I think that with Ortiz gone, he needs to bear a little bit more of the offensive burden here. And I think that this empty average that we're getting from him at this point just isn't going to cut it. And currently, um, you know, he's not on pace for anything close to what he was last year in terms of war. Um, so, I'm actually a little bit disappointed with what we've seen from him so far. Yeah, I can see that. I definitely can. Because the, la- the lack of power can really put a damper on a lot of your stuff, especially if you're not smacking – especially if you're not hitting like a one or two homers, like a- one or two homers every couple weeks or so. I mean, but the lack of power is almost team-wide. Like this, team's- this team is like really focused on hitting singles, uh, like really hard singles, but they're still singles. So it's almost like they've become the proto-royals in that sense. They don't strike out, but they just make a lot of contact. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's it's kind of interesting, though, because um, when you look at war and you look at war on baseball prospectus versus uh, Fangraphs, last year Fangraphs had him at a 5.2 war because they really loved his defense. Um, baseball prospectus didn't love his defense very much last year at all had him at 2.4 war and projects him out to have a 2.3 war this year so essentially they're seeing the exact same guy uh whereas Fangraphs is seeing a far reduced Dustin Pedroia and I think by the eye test he falls somewhere in the middle of those two projections for me yeah and I think Fangraphs with its emphasis on defense um really buys into aging curves when it comes to that so now that now that he's almost 34 years old, I think they really start projecting more fall off with his glove, even though we still see him making the most ridiculous plays out in the field. I mean, that's always going to be Pedroia. Did you but, see him cut off Bogarts for that ball yeah. the other day? <laughs> I, I had a theory on that. I thought I think the whole plan there was Bogarts had the bag on a steal. So the moment the ball was hit, the moment the ball got past the pitcher, Bogart, uh, Pedroia knew he had to book it. So I think that was what happened, and he had to go all the way over there to get the ball. That's just insane. That's definitely a Pedroia play if I've ever seen one. So let me ask you this before we move on from Pedroia. Does he end the season with more than 10 home runs? I say yes because this team seems to be a second-half team again. Everything everything seems underwhelming, and the stats kind of support, hey, they're kind of – getting the short end of the stick with the luck again, like like uh, Pablo Sandoval was. So I say yes, but I say it's 11. I don't think it's very much at all. Okay. If he can do that and add some more doubles, I shall eat my hat with my statement of him not doing his job. Um, but I do fear that that power has gone away even more. So let's move on. We will get to uh, one of the most interesting players on the entire list here that we'll talk about, um, Xander Bogarts. Xander Bogarts has been a absolutely bizarre case study this year uh, because he has zero home runs on the season right now. Uh, Bogarts' slash line right now is 331, 395, 450. Um, so it's not a complete empty average. He's still hitting doubles in there. He's got 11 doubles, four triples, which is a ton. Um, but 
it has come out that he has been dealing with a little bit of a thumb injury, uh, which he says is causing him not to be able to swing with both hands uh, and, and contributing to this lack of power here. But he's on pace to eclipse last year's Fangraphs, uh, I'm sorry, Baseball Prospectus War. Uh, he was at 2.7 last year. They have him on pace for 3.1 this year. And he's hitting absolutely every ball that's thrown to him. So this is bizarre. Uh, where are you on this guy in – I mean, I think we can both probably agree he's doing his job, right? But yeah. He's just doing it really bizarrely. Yeah, I mean, he, there's ways like that. Like, uh, you remember Manny Machado in the early days. He would hit a ton of doubles, right? Not a lot of homers. I think he had like 12 or 13 homers in a couple of his early seasons. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm seeing him now. Like, he did hit 21 last year. He did 21 bombs last year and 12 in 2014. But, like, as we saw in 2015, he is really good at making contact and not whiffing. Like, every year he's been in the league, his swinging strike percentage has gone down. He's been really good at getting the bat to the ball. Like, back in 2014, if you threw him a slider, he would wave at it. Like, he would just wave at it. Oh, there was, it was ugly. Oh, it was so bad. But now, in 2017, you throw him a slider, and it's going to – it's even a little bit out over the plate. He's just going to poke it in the right field. He'll get contact. He'll hit 100 feet over the first baseman's head, and there's a single for him. Like he has evolved so much as a hitter, just in just in making contact, that hitting if he hits like if he doesn't get a home run for the entire year, but he's still got a 331, 395, 450 slash, I will be more than happy with that because it's just so ridiculous how good he how good he is at just making contact. And one thing with him is that when he taps into his power, he needs to pull the ball. And you talk about the thumb injury. Pulling the ball for him needs both hands because you need to get around and pull your hand over the bat. <clears throat> and so if the thumb injury is affecting him, thumb injuries usually affect power in general. Right. And seen any less power. The only power he's really lost is the home run power. He's still got four triples. He's still got a ton of doubles. And he's a killer so, base runner. Yeah, and he's a, and he's a more than acceptable defender at, at shortstop. He's gotten better again. So it's – he the power if it comes if it comes or if it goes I don't think it matters all that much and his BABIP is sky high it's just short of 400 but with how much contact he makes and how much good contact he makes on stuff like that like he's he's hitting line he's hitting liners 23 percent of the time he's got a grounder 50 55 percent of the time and those two hits are going to give you a higher BABIP in general especially if you're as fast and as good a base runner as Bogarts is so he's really kind of pushing the boundaries of how good he can be making an extreme amount of contact. So even if the power doesn't show up and his thumb never really heals and he only gets like five homers, having a slash line like this or relative to it, or because this is because I think he settles into what his 2015 line was, which was 320, 350, uh, 355, 421. Mm. If he's something like that, that's awesome. And for fan graphs, that gave him a war over four. That gave him a war over four. Yeah. So, I, I... I, th I agree. I mean, I think that what he's doing is pretty unique. He's making contact with 93.1% of balls in the strike zone. Uh, that's crazy. That's such a high amount. Um, he's really able to get to more than he's ever gotten to, and I think we got to give him credit, too, for really improving every single part of his game aside from the power based on last year's stats. Although we do have to remember that last year um, he started off incredibly hot. Uh, I have his splits right here. Um, first half of last year, he batted 329 uh, with 10 home runs and was the all-star starter. In the second half of the year, he batted just 253, uh, albeit with 11 home runs in the second half. So it'll be really interesting to see 
what happens to him going forward and whether or not he's going to be able to sustain this for the long run. Yeah, it's uh, if he if he does end up sustaining it, which I can clearly see. I mean, he had he held a 372 Babbitt for all of 2015. If he if he's getting that contact and he's getting and that contact is solid, then I think he can really sustain it. He's such a good base runner, and he's his speed is a really underrated aspect. Which when he was a prospect, his speed was really non-existent. Like even Sox pro even uh, Sox prospects didn't think he had much of a speed. It wasn't going to be a game changer. But come 2015, 2016, you start seeing him be better with reads. You start seeing him – it almost seems like he was faster. So him having – him in like three, four short years turning a, basically a non-factor tool into something that's pushing his game even farther, that is really – I would get, I, I guess the word would be inspiring because it's something we didn't expect, but it's something we'll welcome anyway, and it's great to see what he's done with it. Yeah, he's a guy that you might be frustrated with if you drafted in your fantasy team, but as a real-life baseball player, the strides that uh, he's made in all these areas of his game are really um, pretty incredible. So I think we're we're both firmly in the camp that this guy is doing his job really, really well. Um, next guy, Devin Marrero. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we're, we're not going to do the, uh, the the colossal hole that is third base right now because we just don't have enough uh, to go off of. We It's just been a complete nightmare. We won't harp on that. Uh, if you've been following the team, you know that. Um, but I want to ask you, what have your impressions been of Devin Marrero's defense while he has been up here? Because he has gotten a whole bunch of uh, a time at the position. He's got 16 games under his belt so far this year. Um, so what what have you think what have you thought since the first time that he got brought up when he made that error i mean he's looked pretty decent to me at the position obviously the bat sucks but like he's been pretty good uh the glove is the glove for him was always the selling point i didn't think it was a first round pick selling point yeah. they thought he was gonna spray liners all over the place and a side note middle infielders that spray liners all over the place is a really underrated uh aspect or really underrated thing that I don't think enough teams see. But going back, uh, he his glove, even at Arizona State, was always going to be a selling point. He was so good and so smooth and so, flu- so fluid, and he fundamentally knows, like, get uh, get the ball when it's dropping down right before the ground. Just everything fundamental about defense he does. And I think he just needed some acclimation at third base because I, he, can, he can be a bench. He's probably going to be like a 23rd, 25th man on the rock. 25th man on the roster bench guy who's all glove and if he hits that's gravy um but his defense at third has been acceptable i mean it's not as bad as josh rutledge, josh rutledge has been we don't know how we don't know how good or bad brock holt could be at third base but i would assume it would just be kind of average considering that's basically brock holt's mo he plays a lot of he plays a lot of positions and he plays them at an average rate so um I think the defense, since nobody can hit, the defense is going to have to be what we hope sticks. And so far, at, beside that first day where we got the error, I think it has. I think it'll be fine. And we just all, we can just pray that we get somebody who can actually hit at third base at this point. Yeah, he's probably not long for that position. Like you said, he's going to move to the bench once Pablo gets back. So we shall see how that position shakes out. Um, but third base as a whole is not doing its friggin' job. So, and, and I think that's more on Dombrowski and, um, you know, blame Charrington for the, the Pablo thing or, or we'll really blame the Red Sox brass for that. Um, but, uh, I, I think they didn't do an adequate job of kind of filling in depth there, but 
that's that's a whole different aside that I don't want to get stuck on. Uh, let's move over to Andrew Benintendi in left field because he is very exciting to talk about. Uh, mm-hmm. Benintendi on the season has a 287 batting average, uh, 364 OBP uh, with a 425 slugging, five home runs, six stolen bases. Uh, has been really good um, so far. Uh, what have your early impressions been of him, and is he doing his job? His... His play discipline, I don't know what happened, but last year he struck out like 20% of the time, and now he's striking out 14%. It just catastrophically dropped. That's, and, a, good, that's a good thing. Oh, yeah, and it's a, it's amazing how much he's changed just through that. And through 200 at-bats, how could you not be excited about this? Like the like with the Red Sox, the rich get richer, and they now have one of the best outfields in the majors. So it's a part – and even when he had that slump where he didn't get a hit for – 25 at bats was it um yeah it was something like that it was in the early 20s he only had like four or five strikeouts at the whole thing it wasn't like he was flailing at everything it was just pitchers adjusting to him and he was slowly adjusting back he wasn't whipping he was just making what he was just making contact that was getting caught it was it's it's a slump that everybody goes through so him looking already like a middle of the order hitter with really high walk rate a really low strikeout rate and the power slowly starting to get up. You can see it there. He's already got five homers, and he's already got a bunch of extra base hits. He really looks like a future top-of-the-order, middle-of-the-order hitter. And to already show that at his age, at nearly 23 years old, that is incredible. And the Red Sox are going to have one hell of a foundation in the majors for a long time to come. And him arriving and being this good instantly kind of cemented it. Yeah, this guy's incredible. Um, he does everything like you said. I mean, I won't, I won't uh, re- repeat it all, but I mean, just so impressive. And uh, Baseball Prospectus loves him. Picota loves him for the rest of the year. They haven't projected out as a four-win player uh, on the season as a rookie, um, and I, I think I see that too when I watch him. Um, I mean, you you know how excited I am about him. So this guy is just amazing. He's going to go through his struggles, and he has, but he is going to adjust faster uh, than your typical rookie while going through those struggles. So he is firmly in the camp of doing his job. Um, Next guy on the list is Jackie Bradley Jr. Um, This is not as cut and dry. No. (laughs) Jackie Bradley Jr. currently hitting 200, 277, 360. With just four home runs, is Jackie doing his job? Defense is there, but no, he hasn't. But it's not entirely his fault that he hasn't. Uh, knee injuries can be a bit draining on you, especially when so much of your bat when, especially when you're batting. If it, I think it was still sore even a week ago, um, knee injuries can really sap some of your hitting hitting acumen and power. And having that hyperextension in the first week of the season, oh, man. And he's already a streaky guy. Like, he's going to be white hot for, like, a month and then be ice cold for the next month. So having him start off the season basically being either ice cold or just eh really doesn't help him, even with how good, de- even with how good defensively he's been. His, thro- his throws from center field and for outfield assists have been better. But he's really not been doing his job very well yeah i would agree um he's just he's looked lost at the plate a lot of the season um the power has still been there to large degree although um 
you know, he hasn't been able to show it off too, too much because he hasn't been making a tremendous amount of contact, but his average exit velocity is still 89.1 miles per hour, which is higher by almost two miles an hour um, than the MLB average. So he still connects with balls really hard. I love the defense, like you said, but I really hope he improves things because right now center field is uh, basically a position where you can't expect anything from offensively, and it takes a lot of length out of a lineup that really needs it. Yeah, and he going back to the 2016 Red Sox team, he was kind of the one guy where you look back at the season and you're just, and you see that he had 26 homers in a 219 ISO, and you're like, what? Yeah. How did this happen? How did this guy get 26 homers? Because, like, even with that 29-game hitting streak he had last year, it didn't seem like he hit that much. This guy whiffed all the time. But he's that good of a hitter. And, yeah, he's got a low Babbitt, but every but his batted balls from last year are practically the same. A couple percentages have changed. He has more fly balls. But everything is still – he's still hitting it hard, and everything is still kind of the same. And it sucks that he had that knee injury, and he had and he basically was forced to start off slow because of it. But this this is still the same guy we've kind of we kind of saw last year, and we really need to wait until he hits one of those three to four week stretches where he is where he is Mike Trout 2.0, where he hits everything over the fence, and his defense is impeccable. So I guess he's not doing his job, but it's more not his fault, and it's kind and we kind of almost have to give him an asterisk and say it's an incomplete grade so you're chalking all of the struggles up to the injury really yeah because it, it, if you're a streaky hitter like he is it's really hard to come back from an injury that affects your hitting so much and try to hit again interesting i don't know if i give him that much of a pass i know that he was amazing last year and during the hitting streak and stuff but there were still months of 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 baseball that he played last year where he was basically a non-factor offensively mm-hmm. um so I'm still a little bit more skeptical on him. Um, I really wanted to see a repeat year of last year to make me, you know, confident that, yeah, he's going to deliver on the whole um, this type of a stat line, even mm-hmm. if you do get it in streaks. Um, and I'm not confident that we're going to get that. Um, and I certainly don't think we're going to get that this year. But um, I don't know. I'm more of a wait and see guy with him. Uh, yeah. Mookie Betts though, um, he is. <laughs> Uh, it's it's funny to even question um Mookie Betts doing his job uh doing his job really really freaking well um mm-hmm. currently on the season we'll give you Mookie Betts's line here uh 287 365 491 already six stolen bases seven home runs um not quite performing up to the rates of last year but one thing that has been crazy about Mookie Betts is 10.4% walk rate 7.8% K rate with a 205 ISO. I mean, what? <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's going to the Pedroia school of plate discipline. Um, Except he can do everything that Pedroia can't too. It's unbelievable. Exactly. It's it's almost as if you clone Pedroia and ended up making him better in the process. But it's it's really amazing to see what he to see how far he's come. He's also been kind of a maven of contact, which is. Again, been the Red Sox mo for like the last 18 months, it seems like, and it's it's almost like my knock against him in the first after the first month is that his power is almost non-existent. He had two homers. He was people were blaming him for focusing on contact instead of hitting the ball over the fence, which kind of sparked a really confused reaction from me. 
And then he gets into May and he starts hitting everything for extra bases. And it's almost insane how fast he can run up on you with his power and just his, just basically his five tool set. Like there is nothing that we did. There is nothing that he's missing right now. He is even better than he was last year. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that he's going to hit last year's rate stats or anything like that. I don't think he gets the 31 home runs or 122 uh, runs or 113 RBIs. I think he might get there with the 26 steals, but I agree. I think we're seeing him evolve in a lot of different ways and we're seeing him wear a lot of different hats too. I mean, the, the move to, to take him out of the middle of the order, to put him at the top of the order, um, has been one where he's been really exposed. I mean, they can really attack him any way that they want uh, when he is at the front of that order, and he has been succeeding because he really doesn't have any holes in his game, uh, which is a, a real testament to him, I think, and the fact that he's been able to hit for power out of that leadoff spot too is pretty cool. Yeah, it's, he's basically... He's basically, uh, what was it, uh, back in, I think it was a year or two ago, um, Baseball Prospectus Annual called Andrew McCutcheon basically the, perf- the perfect franchise player. And I think Mookie Betts is one, one, even one good season away from just earning that distinction. He might even be it now. He is really approaching that point where you just look at him and you're like, there's no one else I would rather build a team around right now than him. Uh, out of all the right fielders in baseball, and you know that obviously includes uh, Bryce Harper here, mm-hmm. um, is there anybody you'd take ahead of the 24-year-old Mookie Betts right now? Ooh, that's a hard one. Uh, I, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, Mookie Betts does everything, and it's been so consistent. The last, it's been so consistently good that you almost, you just can't discount him. Like he just keeps getting better. Like one, like even when he first really came up in 20, 2014, he was just, he was good. He was a mate. He, had, he hit 2091, 153 ISO, and his ISO has jumped every year since. His uh, his strikeouts have gone down every year since, and it's almost like you almost expect something better. You you want an encore, and you basically get a sequel. It's amazing. He's like until he hits, he might improve until he hits 30, and even then, I. I will not dis- I will not doubt him for improving after that. Well, what do you make of the the defense dropping off a little bit? A, a few different defensive metrics, including fielding runs above average, have him um, still a plus defender, but way down from last year's mark that he ended the season at, which was plus twenty four point eight. Uh, you know, I, I believe that was the best amongst all outfielders last year. Um, what, are you actually seeing any drop off in defense, or how do you what do you, how do you attribute that? With Mookie Betts' defense, uh, with the defensive stats, I think I've said it before, and I don't, and I know I've made excuses for Jackie Bradley with his knee, but I would, I think I would just chalk this up to short season variance since it's so hard to get a good sample size for defense in one season. Um, it's, it's, re- it is really tough to just get 45 games of defense and say something's bad because you can let a ball go into your glove and get to the wall, and that's going to be a huge knock against you. I wouldn't say it's like a catastro- catastrophic drop in defensive ability, but I'd just say it's not as stellar as it was in 2016, which is by no means an insult, because he's still a good defender. He just might not be a excellent defender like he was. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, he still passes the eye test completely. He's still got a great arm, really accurate arm. He gets to every ball that you'd expect him to. Um, you know, it's hard to pick something bad about Mookie Betts right now is basically the bottom line, and I think it will be for a long time to come. Um, let's switch gears here a little bit. Let's go to the uh, bench. Let's talk about the bench as a unit. Currently, the bench is constituted uh, with uh, Sandy. Le- oh, actually, we skipped the whole position. Um, <laughs> l- let me let me get to the catcher. Um, the uh, the catcher currently is Christian Vasquez. Uh, Vasquez has been pretty solid this year. Um, he has been more than solid with the bat. 329, 359, 438. Um, slash line with just uh, the one triple and six doubles, zero home runs for him. Um, but he's been making a whole crap load of contact and having a pretty high uh, batting average, and he took the job from Sandy Leone. So um, how do you feel about him? Done his job? Yeah, I mean, Christian Vasquez, we don't usually expect much out of him more than defense, and him having a decent streak, even though it's Babbitt-fueled, uh, goes a long way for him. Uh, he's the best hitting catcher the Red Sox have is currently rehabbing in AAA. So you're going to have to make do with what you've got. Like, you're going to have the legend of Sandy Leone, but he's but what Sandy Leone really has right now is just the occasional spike of power, and Vasquez's defense will ultimately win out in terms of value over a long amount of time. So he's I think Vasquez has done his job, even if it's a bit luck-fueled. But with Sandy Leone... I'm kind of getting to the point where if Swihart is deemed ready to go, then Leon needs to be a casualty. Yeah, I don't know if I'm quite there yet um, because I don't know enough about how Swihart's defense has progressed um, Mm -hmm. to this point, and I think that that is certainly a a super important part of it. Um, I do want to give a little bit of credit to Christian Vasquez, though, and more than just the 400 BABIP, I think he has done a good job of um, cutting down his strikeout rate uh, a little bit. Last year it was at 21.2%. Uh, this year it's at 17.9%. And I think that w- what really that might be attributed to is just a, a year more of, of healthy Christian Vasquez, right? He was probably focusing so much on getting back physically uh, from the defensive side of things last year that probably did get cut into his uh, preparation with the hitting just a little bit too. So, um yeah, I, I I think he's done his job for sure. Yeah. Um, and and that Blake topic is an interesting one. I think uh, you know as soon as Blake can get up here, that'd be great for me. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, I do credit San Leon for saving the Red Sox from their own comedy of errors and a pinnacle of embarrassment that was the catcher position last year because he was insane last year. He was moment he, the moment he came up and set fire to that position, it was he just ran away with it for the last few months. Yep, he was Johnny Bench. Yeah, essentially. And it's – I mean I don't like saying that he needs to go, but if he can't hit better than this – and he's already already now the backup catcher, and he's he's not going to be a better receiver than Vasquez is, even though it might be close at some times. But if he keeps hitting like this, he'll be an acceptable backup. But if the Red Sox have Blake Swihart ready, then he can probably be an acceptable backup somewhere else. And the Red Sox might not get much out of him, even if they try to trade him, because he's still got that power potential. But will you really, will you really like want that over a guy who can be your catcher of the future and Swihart on the roster? Probably not. Like that—that that, that seems like a no-brainer. And 
I after the first week, he kind of just fell off a cliff. Like he had that walk off home run against the Pirates, which we're all going to remember, and then that two, and then it took a few weeks, and he had that two run home two home run game against the Twins, where they scored like ten runs in the ninth inning, and uh, it's. I don't like saying that he probably needs to go if Swihart's ready, but if he's going to keep hitting like this and Swihart is ready, then that that's probably going to be a no-brainer decision. Yeah, I mean, we can't forget that um, that was very much an aberration, uh, that part of last season based on everything that he's done and his pedigree and, and all that good stuff. And he was really brought in here to be a backup to the backup uh, mm-hmm. So no no surprise there if Sandy Leon uh, returns to obscurity and he certainly can't block a talent like Blake Swihart. Um, so now we will get to the bench. Um, you mentioned part of the bench there in Sandy Leon. Uh, right now the bench is currently constituted with Sam Travis to give some days off, um, Josh Rutledge, um, and Chris Young. Uh, do you feel like the bench so far this year has done its job? Considering the circumstances uh, with the malady of injuries and issues they've had, yeah, even if it's a little bit slightly, sure. Uh, Chris Young probably shouldn't be playing every day anymore, but he earned himself uh, he earned himself the first man up job after having such a good such a good streak playing out uh, stepping in last year in left field uh, last year where he had where. Uh, he had he was hitting like crazy. I think it was in June, and then he had, and then he came down with an injury. Uh, Josh Rutledge is like your fourth third baseman, so anything he does that isn't that isn't like, you know fall over dead at the hot corner, I think is okay. <laughs> Even though it hasn't been super impressive, and he's got like no power to speak of, it's it's okay. I mean, I'm not expecting much more out of basic a guy who is basically org depth. Even though the Red Sox did like get him back from even though the Red Sox did stash get him back in a rule five draft for reasons I can't understand. But um Sam Travis, I mean what can you really judge? He he crushed the ball at triple A. Yeah, he, he's done his job there. It just remains to be seen if he's gonna do his job here. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I think that the bench hasn't been great, but I don't think that that's the the. I mean, it's been fine. It hasn't been great. It hasn't been terrible. Um, but I don't know how much of that you can really attribute to the bench itself. Like Chris Young's been a functioning player when he's been in. Rutledge has sucked. Um, Sandy Leone has not been great, but we couldn't really expect him to be. Um, but the the bench has kind of had to be this awkward unit because of the guy that we're going to talk about next. Um, DH, Hanley Ramirez. Um, that is something that we didn't expect that we would have to say um, coming into the years that DH would be just one guy all the time uh, yeah. in Hanley Ramirez. And I think that this has been one of the most underrated negatives of the entire team this year um, has been Hanley Ramirez's lack of flexibility and his inability to play first base. He's played one game at first base there uh, kind of handcuffing the Red Sox, making them have to play uh, Mitch Moreland all the time, making them have to bring up Sam Travis uh, to spell him. And when, when Hanley has been in, um, he has been a decent player. He has six home runs on the year. He's slashing 261, 349, 425. But he's not been good enough to be an everyday DH like that. He certainly hasn't been uh, as good as he was last year. Uh, he's still hitting the ball with decent authority right now. He's got an exit velocity of 90.48, uh, so 
higher than the league average by a couple, a little over a couple miles an hour. Um, but I would argue here that Hanley definitely hasn't done his job this year uh, by whether that's physically being unable to play the position or refusing to play the position. And I think that it's fair to assume that there's some of both things going on. Yeah, uh, I think the one time he did start at first base, he got taken out three innings in. So it really doesn't help that he's that – I don't want to say soft because that implies like he's not a super tough macho guy, but he really is susceptible to injury. And he, we knew that coming in. We saw what happened when he slammed his shoulder in 2015. He had nothing to speak of after he came back because I think they kind of they kind of messed up his rehab and he wasn't really going to be ready in the first place. So it's he really hasn't done his job, even though some things have improved. He's hitting the ball harder than I think he's hitting the ball harder in general than he really has before in terms of soft, medium, hard hit percentage. Like he's ba- like only 10% of the balls he hits are soft, basically. Mm-hmm. So it's there's that that's good he's walking more than he usually does which is great but everything else the results have not been there at all and if you're if you've got those if you've got those great peripherals but you don't have those stats it just kind of you just you're just disappointed you just it's like seeing a guy who can strike out a bunch of people and like oh man why isn't he good it's because he gets a bunch of dingers so it's I, I agree with you to an extent. He really has not done his job because we expected more. We did expect more flexibility out of him, and him to act, at least play in the field a few days, even though that's not his. Be- even though it's not a strong suit, and if he was gonna be, and if he's gonna be like entrenched in that position like Ortiz was, he's got to be hitting closer to Ortiz. And I know that's a monumental feat, but we're not asking for Ortiz himself to hit like Ortiz himself. We're asking just to do something better to have the pa- to have like a to have the power. Like you have to have a five hundred slugging at this point if you're going to DH the whole time yeah I mean really what he's done is he's anchored down this team with lack of flexibility and a line that um, most projection systems project out to be somewhere around the tune of 20 home runs 80 RBIs um, and like a 275 average which is good but it's not hey let's cripple our flexibility good you know it's not David Ortiz if he was doing, if he was a competent third fielding third baseman, and he was doing this. I wouldn't care. Like that's amazing. But <laughs> he is not. He is the DH for the Red Sox, and he coming off the second half he had last year, which was incredible. It was one of the hottest like two months I've ever seen. Uh, it, this just seems like a disappointment, no matter how good the line is, and you're already incurring a, a penalty of value, being a perennial DH. So it's it, it's very not it's. Not a situation you really wanted coming in, and the fact that nothing's changed over the last two months is really disheartening. Do you feel like he has any trade value at all? Uh, not to an NL team, maybe. Yeah. Uh, they, NL team's got to have pretty putrid first base defense, and you can probably buy that. And you can probably buy that for five million. The Red Sox did. So, uh, it's if he if he was gonna have any trade value. It like why would you? It would have to be to a content. It would have to be like a challenge trade to a contending team. Yeah. There is no. There's no reason why a team that's trying to rebuild or planning on rebuilding would take him on. Uh, there's no reason for an NL team to take him on because the defense is going to be a net negative no matter the, unless his offense explodes. And like what other what teams do you really see that needs a DH and are doesn't already have them like 
the Angels have to keep juggling uh, Albert Pools at that position. Um, the Mariners have Nelson Cruz because he's he's even worse than Hanley was in the outfield. It feels like uh, the ti- the Tigers have so many corner guys they need to play DH and then Victor Martinez. The Indians already filled their DH their D, their big right-handed DH hitter with Edwin Encarnacion, and you're not going to trade him to the Yankees. You're not going to trade him to whatever other contending team in the AL East right now, which might end up being the Rays, weirdly enough. But it's there's really no value for them out there, and the Red Sox are just kind of stuck with him until he until he actually performs anything close to what he did last year, which is it'll be tough. But we've seen that he can like smoke 20 homers in nine weeks before. It's not impossible for him. He's that good of a hitter. The peripherals are there. We just need to see them actually come to the forefront of his stats, and we can see them in game. And there's just no replacement for that offense on this team, and that's kind of one of the reasons why preseason I had him as one of the most important pieces on this entire team because they need this guy more than ever without Ortiz. So he has to perform, and I agree with you. There's really no way that they're moving this deal. He has He's signed through this year and next with an option for 2019. So... Uh, Hanley certainly isn't going anywhere. Um, let's move to the rotation here. Um, Chris Sale undoubtedly has done his job. We will not focus on him because we have had him as our, our gushing topic, uh, that we would just fawn over him for the last uh, couple podcasts. So, uh, he is, he is well within the clear. Um, Let's talk about Eduardo Rodriguez, though, because Eduardo Rodriguez is in the midst of a breakout. Uh, has Eddie done his job? Oh, yes. It might. Not, he might not be this good for the rest of the season, but he's still going to be damn good. I mean, that he's striking out 10 per 9. It's fantastic. He, one thing he does need to work on are grounders. I think of the current starting rotation, he induces the least, which is kind of dangerous, especially considering the parks you play in in the AL East and just in the AL in general sometimes. But he is but the strikeouts basically mitigate that. He he's not allowing a massive amount of home runs. He he walks a fair bit, sure, but he's the strikeouts kinda offset it. Like nobody cared that Darvish was was like walking three point seven five per nine when he was striking out twelve guys per nine. So he's I he's done his job. He we he was kind of like the forgotten man of this rotation. He's really had a breakout season. Yeah, I totally agree. I think Eddie has more than done his job, and he just turned 24 years old. It is absolutely scary uh, the type of talent that this guy has. I think, you know, it, it's it's conceivable he could be the number two starter on this team that includes uh, two other Cy Young winners or two Cy Young winners, uh, and then Chris Sale. It's crazy to think that Chris Sale still hasn't won a Cy Young, but. Um, yeah, he he's been phenomenal. How about Rick Porcello though? Because he has been uh, quite a bit worse. He's got a 4.35 ERA to this point in the season. However, he still has incredible peripherals. I mean, he's he's striking out nine guys, uh, uh, nine guys per nine, um, basically a batter in an inning exactly. Um, and he's not walking hardly anybody, less than two guys per nine. So. You know, what's the deal here? It seems like he's doing his job. He's just kind of maybe running into a little bit of bad luck. Yeah, essentially. His bad up's 350, and he's giving up a ton of homers. And the thing is with Porcello is that he's he'll be good to an extent. Like, you're going to – there's definitely a, a baseline with him where you're going to get the strikeouts. 
you're gonna get the longevity. He's not really injured ever. And the thing is with him, he pitched. He isn't. She's like it's good that he's adjusting the strikeouts because he was kind of at the whims of the contact of hitting the contact last year. Like uh, I, I'll, every time I talk about Porcello, I always reference an article from Craig Goldstein talking about Porcello from last year, and he basically said that we shouldn't expect a repeat of last year because also one he won the Cy Young and he's not exactly right-handed Clayton Kershaw right. but two he pitches to contact a lot when he can't get strikeouts he'll switch it up and so he's kind of at the whims of that so the the bad luck really kind of stems from that but to go the extra mile for him luck's really got to be in his favor when it comes to the batted balls and the defense has to be really solid behind him and so far the defense has kind of been okay and it hasn't been excellent. Hasn't been like super great like it was last year for most of the time. So it's with him, he'll get better. He'll definitely get better because no one's going to be that unlucky forever. But he, but uh, if he's going to be really, I hate using this word, but if he's going to be really elite, the things have really pun intended got to start got to start bouncing his way. Look, I I do think it might be a little bit more than just bouncing his way here, and and the reason why is because of all the hits that he's allowing here, and I know that some of these are just falling in, and they're hits that wouldn't typically fall in, but I feel as though he is changing his approach a little bit and getting hit a little bit more than he had last year, so I wonder, you know, how much of that regression in the hits department is real, and are you concerned about that at all? A little bit, yeah, because uh, he he did pitch a contact a lot, and he's not walking guys. He's not throwing outside the strike zone. But the problem with throwing in the strike zone all the damn time is that you're going to be a bit more perceptible to getting hit and hit hard because it's going to be stuff that you can barrel up easier. So you're not going to swing at stuff at your neck because he's not going to throw it there. Uh, like the ball, like other than like I like to go back to. I don't know if these guys are even remotely comparable, and it's probably a bit like well wishing. But going back to like Cliff Lee at the beginning of the decade, uh, his whole thing was just throwing a ton of pitches in the strike zone. And he start when he started falling off, he started getting hit more because he wasn't going to change his tactic there. He wasn't going to get he wasn't going to get more uh, he wasn't going to get start throwing stuff on the corners more. He's just going to get more stuff in the strike zone. And we started falling off when his stuff started disappearing. He was getting hit harder. And that when that shoulder injury hit him, that had to end his career because he wasn't really good even before then, a couple years, because he was still getting hit and he wasn't getting strikeouts. So, his, like, right now, Porcello's still there. He's still going to throw a ton of strikes, but that also does come with the threat that they're going to hit you and maybe hit you harder because they're going to be better pitches to hit. They're not going to be unhittable knuckle curves like Craig Kimbrell throws all the time. They're just going to be two seamers up in the zone that if they drop a little bit, they're going to hit him 400 feet. What will his ERA have to be at the end of the year for you to say that Rick Porcello has done his job? Because this might be the player that I'm most torn about other than Dustin Pedroia, that I'm kind of on the fence as to whether or not he's done his job. Like peripherally, I agree with you on a lot of things and when I watch him pitch, I'm like, hey, he's he's pretty good out there, but he's not getting it done from a numbers standpoint. Where does his ERA have to fall for you to feel like, all right, yeah, Rick gave us what he was supposed to give us this year? I think a sub 340. I that's like a, that's an entire point drop, sure. Wow. But okay. Yeah, I mean, it's there's a lot there's a lot there, and I think people were right to think he was just going to go back to 390 or something like that. Yeah. But there are there are a lot of things there saying that it's probably supposed to drop easily a half run mm-hmm. for his ERA. 
and he does and with the with the spike and strikeouts he's got he does have a, he does have the ability to make it precipitously drop so there there is potential there there is potential for him to go on like a one or two month run where he's just unbeatable again where he always goes six innings or more and he gets a bunch of complete games because he's he's a workhorse but for him for me not to be totally worried about where he's going um it's got to be there. If it's like 350, I'll sure. I, I guess I'll accept that. It's not like it's that's just basically nitpicking. But if it's still if it sits around 380 uh, toward the end of the season, I know it's just kind of we're we're just kind of going back to Porcello, the number two or three starter. Yeah. It's not gonna be, it's not going to be like the we're not going to be to, we're going to be toting like oh yeah the Red Sox have all these Cy Young winners. We're just going to be toting oh the Red Sox have sale and price and then there's a drop and then it's Porcello. So yeah. it's it it's might just up. be a sale, <laughs> depending yeah. on how price does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that you're even a little bit of a harsher critic than I am. I, I was thinking maybe like 37 I'd be okay with. And I could say if he gives us 200, 220 innings with a 370 RA in decent peripherals that he's done his job. But I think you're probably right. I mean, we saw what peak Porcello can be. Um, so probably around three five is right. So right now I'd say he's not doing his job. Um, what would you say as of right now, is or isn't? He he isn't. Just the just the results aren't there. Like the peripherals are great, but the results aren't there in game. Uh, he's almost like he's kind of lost his ground ball inducing ways since uh, like the last oh since 2013. The percent the ground ball percentage has dropped every time, and that's going to be kind of dangerous. And he's also giving up a ton of homers again, which, oh my god, we don't need that. So it's he, – he's just not doing his job just because the results aren't there. And when he gives up homers, it almost seems to be in bunches and it ends up being really bad for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so let's move on um, to Pomerantz. It will be the last rotation guy we talk about. Um, Drew Pomerantz, I, I hate even saying this guy's name. Um, <laughs> I, I was so down on him preseason. And he looked okay the first couple starts, but he's really just been typical Drew trash bag Pomerantz himself. Uh, he hasn't been a good pitcher since he has gotten to the Boston Red Sox. Uh, he currently has a 4.97 ERA. He's striking out almost 11 guys per nine, which is cool, but when you go four innings a start, um, it doesn't help anybody, Drew. Um, so while he does have a good you know, K-walk minus rate at 17.2%, um, I still think this guy sucks, and I don't think he's doing his job. He's screwing the bullpen every time he goes out there. He's melting off the feral. I don't like anything about this guy. I, I rarely think that Boston Sports Radio makes great points, but um, you know Tony Maz made a couple good points about how the, he didn't even uh, run out balls that he should have been fielding a few times. Yeah. He, he just sucks. Like Everything about this guy sucks. Um, he doesn't seem to want to be here. He doesn't seem to want to perform. I'm real down on this guy. Totally not doing his job for me. How do you feel about him? <laughs> I don't blame him for thinking that way, and I don't think he's doing his job either because he's he's also giving up a ton of dingers. And that – oh, my God, this whole team. 17.1% home run to fly ball rate for him. Jesus. He's – it's just so tough. Like you guys – you can have like these great peripherals. Like you can can do – like I said, you can strike out all these guys and the walks are permissible, but the home runs are not. 
and he's not enough of an ace pitcher. He doesn't exactly have, and he's not enough of an ace pitcher to have like a bunch of plus plus pitches. He's got like his curveball's plus plus, but his fastball and cutter are plus, and that's really it. And his fastball gets hammered all the time. And I was high on uh, Pomeranz coming in because he did have those three pitches. He had three good pitches, and the curveball being the great one. But the thing is, like his fastball gets hammered, and he lets it get hammered all the time. He throws it high, and it doesn't get high enough. He doesn't, he can't, and he doesn't make it move like Porcello does. Like at least Porcello throws a two seamer up in the zone. So even if they make contact, sometimes it's just nullified. It's just going to be a wimpy fly ball because it went off the end of the bat. It with him, God, it's it's really not easy to like the guy at all, even if he's on your own team. And I, the best case scenario is he becomes the pitching version of JD Drew, where nobody really liked him and he was kind of decent. For the, for the rest of his contract here, and we just don't really appreciate it until like a year or two after. But he's really not making any fans of himself, really, especially when you're giving up dingers at a higher rate than Rick Porcello is, and that's already pretty high. And it's it's really not a fun... It's really not fun. When he's on, it's fun, but there's definitely not a middle ground with him. He's either on or he's off, and most of the time he's off. I'm going to challenge everybody out there to go on and look up Daisuke Matsuzaka's 2012 season and do a side-by-side -side comparison as to what we have gotten from Drew Pomerantz this year. And I think you will be very uh, surprised at the similarities between the two. And that is the worst thing that I can probably say about a pitcher. So um, with that, I think we will move on to the bullpen situation right now. Bullpen, as it's currently constituted, is Craig Kimbrell, Matt Barnes, Heath Hembry, Robbie Scott, Joe Kelly, Fernando Abad, Ben Taylor, and Brandon Workman. Um, give me two guys who you want to highlight as really doing their jobs this year, and uh, tell me if there's anybody you think that really isn't performing to expectations, and then generally as a unit, do you think they're doing their job? Obviously, the two guys are gonna, for me at least, will be Kimbrel and Hembry. Hembry, when he, he's, he's in that weird middle ground, the gray area between being a right-handed only guy, and a guy you give an entire inning to, because he still gets hit, he still gets slid up against lefties, sure, but there, there was a time, I think it was the first week, and this outing had the best of Hembry and the worst of Hembry. He completely dominated Miguel Cabrera in that bat. Like, Miguel, Cabrera was behind every fastball. Henry located it perfectly, and he just torched him. But then we got the bad Henry toward the end. He just lost control, and everything just kind of went to shit. So it's he's been really good, especially when he's put in a position where he can succeed, and there's a chance he can be even better. His bat is kind of sky high right now. So it, there's a chance he can be I, – I think he can be one of the better relievers come the end of the season – even if uh, Tyler Thornburg doesn't ever show up, which I'm kind of getting the feeling he won't. And then you are that you have Kimbrell, who is probably in the midst of the best season of his career. And that's saying a lot considering what he did in Atlanta. He's he's walking less than a guy per inning. He's not giving up homers, and he's striking out the world. So He's my biggest surprise of the season by a mile. Oh yeah, I think I think we both said that he was kind of a uh, he was kind of going to be our disappointment, and he has done he has been the complete opposite of that. So he's been electric to watch. He's it's almost it's with terrifying efficiency, I should say, that he's been going through ninth innings, especially when it's close. Like 
last year when he came in, you're like, oh, are we going to get the good Craig Kimbrell or Craig Kimbrell that's going to throw every fastball to first base? This year, where it's just been constantly good Kimbrel, and even if it's against a good a good hitting team like the Orioles, uh, that game the last the last series they had against the Orioles, where they went in with like a run run lead in the ninth, and he had to go through the top of the order, and he just carved them up, and one was just an embarrassing at bat by Manny Machado. That was when that was what kind of sold me that Kimbrel was here, he was finally back. Yeah, I, he has been just. One of the, uh, the the best things about this entire season, probably the best thing, and makes me feel so much better about that trade now. I know it doesn't make Matt Corey feel better about it, but it still <laughs> makes me feel better about that trade. Um, interesting about this bullpen, though, is that Joe Kelly is actually leading the way with 22.1 innings pitched out of the bullpen, which is something that, um, you know, from watching a good amount of Red Sox games here, I don't think that I would have guessed that. Um, and he has been succeeding. You know, he has that 1.61 ERA, but I think he's been pitching worse than his ERA. And I'm, I'm sort of surprised that he is leading the way with the workload. I always think of Hembry when I think of the workhorse and Hembry is right behind him with 21.1 innings pitched. But what, what have been your thoughts early on Joe Kelly this year? Uh, what I'd like to reference on this one is an article a couple weeks back on BP Boston by Chris Teeter. And he talked about how Joe Kelly would routinely get people into two-strike counts and then lose them. And that's almost an entirely a sequencing thing. And with Kelly, it might be a little bit of a control thing too because he's, he's never had pinpoint control. But he's always had great stuff. So uh, <laughs> he ha- he's, he's getting swinging strikes at a better rate than he has before in his career. He's throwing, stri- he's throwing first pitch strikes more than he ever has. He's just the contact's a little bit up, and he, when he gets people to strike counts, he just can't finish them. He's got a bunch of good finishing pitches. It's just – and he's getting a bunch of ground balls, so he, I don't know why he just doesn't target the bottom of the zone the entire time and challenge them. But it's just the results, again, with these guys aren't really there. He's – like I've never seen a guy who has so many swinging strikes have so few strikeouts. He just cannot finish these guys, and that – might rear its ugly head later in the season because if this keeps going, it's just kind of it's gonna feel like a curse hanging over Joe Kelly when you put him in a game. But it's there's obvious improvement to be seen here. I mean, we saw what he did in the bullpen last year; it was just absolutely filthy. But it's really hard to see where the pro- where the problem is, other than like sequencing and control with the disconnect between the swinging strikes and the lack of strikeouts. So I don't know what we might see coming forward. It there's really it's really a 50 50 chance he gets better and or stays like this and gets worse yeah i'm more on the side of i think it's probably going to get a little bit worse for him um but you know we we shall see with joe kelly uh, the last guy i want to cue in on here before we end this because we are running a little bit long here uh is matt barnes uh, a guy who i am a little bit down on compared to where he was last year i think we've seen a little bit of regression in control with him um one of the things that's really been affecting him, though, is that 18.8% home run to fly ball rate early in the season. Uh, been very prone to the gopher ball here, and since that suspension, he hasn't been great. So um, he's an important piece to this bullpen, and if they do not get Tyler Thornburg back and uh, you know we don't know what we're going to get from Carson Smith this year, um, that's a guy who we, we really do need uh, to perform very well. 
Um, so Matt Barnes is going to be somebody that I'm going to be watching closely. But as a unit, I think that the bullpen has really done its job and done its job very well early on. Yeah, and uh, I think I think I'll, I think we should give some credit to John Farrell even after the kind of the disastrous beginning to the season with him managing it. The longer the season's gone on, I think the better his decisions have been. Like especially with like guys like Robbie Scott, who was basically born with that with that throwing motion to get lefties out. I think he's done really well trying to protect him against righties. Uh, I think he's slowly come around on using Kimbrel in late and close situations, which is really, really good because he kind of got ma- he kind of got circles managed around him by Terry Francona in the playoffs last year. Um, he read managing for dummies this offseason, and <laughs> it has really paid off. Yeah, it's he's done he's done much better in terms of management over like the last five six weeks, and I think. Having a guy, having an anchor that is as offense crushing as Kimbrel, really does help him out, especially if guys like Matt Barnes, who walks 4.5 per nine and gives up dingers as and gives up as much dingers per nine as uh, Rick Porcello, he's really had to manage with one fantastic world-beating reliever and a bunch of guys that throw really hard, and you hope the, and you hope you get a good result out of. So I think he's done the best with what he's got, and the bullpen has really risen to the occasion at times. <laughs> yep, I agree. I think that we have to give Farrell some props. He may not know how to control Pomerantz from yelling at him about random things, <laughs> um, but he can certainly manage a bullpen better this year. So aren't we all evolving? Uh, that's a good <laughs> thing. Um, I am going to leave you with this last question. Just give me a snap judgment, one-word answer. Do the Red Sox make the playoffs as of now? Do you feel like they're a playoff team? Yes, but <laughs> it, but there but there is a there is a modifier here. Okay. They, they the thing is I think they make the playoffs on the fact that everybody else running for wild card in the playoffs is also as flawed or worse than the Red Sox because when I see a team and they fluctuate from and the general descriptor is they fluctuate from playoff team to oh my god these guys suck. I don't think they're a playoff team because if they can't play at a playoff team level or close to it for a substantial amount of time, it's I don't think they're really a playoff team. It's because you just need you just need that consistency. Like great like great team like great teams with great offenses weren't like super streaky. They were consistent about it. And like you, they never like they never lost like three games in a row, or they always or like they always won two games in a series or something. It was it was ridiculous. It was just ridiculously consistent stuff. And the Red Sox have not shown any consistency whatsoever, outside of Sale, Kimbrel, Betts, Bogarts, and Benintendi. So it's really hard for me to say they're a playoff team, but un- unless they're like the unless they have like Troy Tulowitzki second halves where they murder every baseball they see. I really I think they're just gonna back into the playoffs and get crushed in like the wild card game at this point. They I still want them to win the East. I mean I as a fan I do, but I they just they just seem a fringe playoff team instead of a clear cut playoff team right now. Yeah, there are gonna have to be some big answers to a lot of the questions that we uh, laid out today. That is you need to figure out a solve for third base and we'll talk about that more on next show. Uh, about what that that solve needs to be and I think what happens with Pablo when he comes back will determine that Uh, we need to see what price is when he comes back and see if the team needs to go out and get another arm and if they can solidify some of those questions all of a sudden this ball club looks 
quite a bit different um, than it does right now. But those are big ifs. So the, the next month of baseball uh, will be extremely telling. And by the time we get to the All-Star break, I think we'll have a much better handle of what this team is. Because like Dombrowski said in a few of his interviews, uh, very difficult to judge this team 45 games in, uh, considering the entirety of this team has really not played together almost at all this in, this season. Um, so certainly more to come uh, from these guys and, and more from us as well. Uh, if you enjoyed the show today, you can log on and rate and review us uh, on iTunes. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow Brett at B.A. Cowett. Uh, you can follow me at, at Dev Jake. And you can send and submit in questions to us uh, via a question box uh, on our uh, our page for the Red Seat on bpboston.com. So please go on there, uh, read all of the excellent articles uh, by our various authors, Brett, Chris, uh, all those other guys up there uh, doing tremendous stuff. So please check that out. Uh, thank you for listening today. And uh, Brett, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. Bye.